Welcome to this podcast by Global Church. We are a church planting movement wanting to reach cities from here to everywhere, one to everyone. If you want to find out more information, check out our website on www.globalchurch.co.uk. So just in case you don't know, my name's Andy. I'm uh, married to Anna. We've got three kids, and we passed the church on a Monday night, the Barbican Church, which is great. We've got an amazing team that really are going to take off our hands very soon. So uh, not that I'm trying to escape, you know, but I'm getting a bit old. No, I'm joking. Um, so it's been amazing, in my mind, loads of amazing messages that we've been listening to over the last few weeks. And so I wanted to kind of pull from different things that you've maybe heard over these weeks, remind ourselves, remind myself some things, as well, looking at where we're going to, which is Easter. An amazing, amazing, the most amazing time of the year in so many ways of what we get to live in now is because of what Jesus did at the cross at Easter. So the title of my talk, it's not that creative, but it is biblical, which has got to be a good thing, I'm sure. <laughs> and it was, for, go, for God so loved, dot, dot, dot. In the front of all our Easter flyers right now, we have, for God so loved, dot, dot, dot. The spoiler alert is, it's the world, right? <laughs> that's you sat here today. That's everyone not sat here today. That's everyone, okay? There's no one excluded from that. There's no exceptions. God so loved the world. It comes from the verse John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, his one and only son, into the world that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal or everlasting life. Phenomenal, phenomenal thing. And I just, I'm blown away when I hear it, but you know what? Sometimes you've heard it that many times, it just doesn't have the impact. You're kind of like, no, no, I've heard that one. In fact, it's on like millions of coffee cups or certain things. I know they've got them printed, John 3:16, around the inner rim, hidden away. You know, but it's that verse that we hear regularly, or if you've been a Christian for a while, you'll be very familiar with. But here's the thing, when you've heard something so many times, it becomes familiar. And the Bible talks about how familiarity breeds contempt. It's a shame, but it's, it's a reality that sometimes we face. And so, you know, that je ne sais quoi of, for God so loved the world. Like, that's amazing. We're not talking like your mate loves you or your wife loves you. It's like, no, God. You know, God who's like so far up there. You know, he created the world. Like, we can't create planets. I don't know if you've worked that one out yet. He can. He can create universes, solar systems, galaxies. He can create very life itself. I can't do that, but he can. That's how, and God so loved the world, the people, us, you and me. So even from such a height, but he loves us. And why? That's why I want to begin tonight. Why? Why does God so much love the world? It's because, well, firstly, we're formed in God's image. That's amazing. You know, you weren't formed by accident. You weren't a mistake. Your parents might have alluded to that, but honestly, you were not. If you're here today, you're intended to be here. The Bible again says, like, you know, you are fearfully and wonderfully made, right? There are no errors in your design. You might look and think, oh, no, you know what? The nose is a little bit too big, long, short, fat. I don't know. I mean, I'm quite proud. I, I look at my family, and we've got the biggest nostrils going. <laughs> Honestly, if you've not noticed, you should have a look later. Don't get too close. <laughs> but we're fearfully and wonderfully made, each and every one of us. You know, what we sometimes think is a flaw can actually be our strengths and things that God put in, the, the very thing designed into us to make us who we are. He doesn't want uniformity. He wants the diversity because he's creative. He didn't just create a beige world. He created a multicolored world. It's phenomenal. 
And so, you know, we are created in the image of God. No, no, not only that, we're God's children. You know, we are children of God. John 1 verse 12 says, yet to all who did receive him, that's Jesus, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Flipping egg. So we've not only just got the creator of the universe right up there, we've now got someone who's saying, join the family. I want you to be part of my family. And his family's like, awesome. Because you know what? The Bible doesn't just talk about becoming a child of God. It talks about being an heir. An heir, as in we inherit things that our father, you know, the king of kings, the lord of lords, the guy who's like all powerful, and he's saying, I want you to join the family and be heirs to what I'm about. It's not like he's just saying, you know, just tag in, you know, join that social club over there, and, you know, you'll feel a bit more accepted. He's like, no, you get to experience something that is out of this world, supernatural. It's unbelievable. You know, Sam brought, you know, even if you're not a believer here today, you know, the story, the, the parable of the prodigal son that Jesus brought, you know, the son who, he left his father. He said, I want to take all my inheritance as if you were dead and go and do what I want to do, how I want to do it, and spend my inheritance how I want to. And he quickly, well, not that quickly, you know, he spent his money, he returned home, and God the Father welcomed him back. You know what? Even if we reject God, even if we're not at a place right now where we believe in him, God's still saying, just come, just come. You're still a child. You know, when the prodigal son returned, he's like, gave him the ring, the robes, slaughtered the calf and had a party, invited the whole town down to it. Because he's saying, you're not going to be a slave for me. You're back in the family. You're my son. It doesn't change his position. And in the same way, God looks in everyone in this world and says, you're children. You're my children. And I love it because, I mean, I, I, you know, I've got children, three. It's not, not too many. I mean, we've had five round recently, okay, tonight. And uh, wow, wow. If anyone's got more than three kids, my hat off to you. You are phenomenal. You know Jesus. Um, but, you know, that relationship between a father or mother to their, ch to their child, a son or a daughter, it's unbelievable. It's like, I, I, will, I will make sure, if I see, like, Caleb getting pushed over, you know, on the way to school or something like that, I will be, I will be there. I will sort it out. I don't care how big or small that kid is, right? <laughs> I will sort it out because I care for him. I love him. I want to protect him. I mean, when he gets 18, it might be a little bit different how it works out, right? But you know what? God still looks at each and every one of us, no matter whatever our age is today, he looks at us as children. Not out of an immature place, but out of a, a place where he loves us that much. Because he knows that we're vulnerable, that we suffer things as we go through life. And no matter what age we are, whether we've gone past 18 or not, we still need help. We still need the love of a father over our life. It's phenomenal. You know, we talk a lot about success in global, and part of that stems from God the Father wanting his children, you and me, to succeed. It'd be ridiculous if I looked at my eldest son, Caleb, and said, I want him to fail. Like, literally, I want him to fail school. Why, hold on. Okay, no, no, no. I do. I don't want him to fail school. I, want him to, I don't want him to be able to walk or run or be able to play football. Like, that'd be, no, that'd be ridiculous. I don't want him to have friends. Of course I do. I want him to succeed in every area of his life in everything that he endeavors, whatever is in his heart to do that I believe God's put in there. I want him to be able to go for it and accomplish it, fail, of course, get back up again, try again. But I don't want him to just to fail. And yet sometimes we have this concept that God isn't really for us. And so when we talk about success in global, it's because we believe that God wants you to succeed in every area of your life. 
God's not just saying, I really want you to succeed in uh, Sunday. You know, when you come to church and what you do here and you look really good and you might serve on a team, that's like one part. But God's also interested in your finances. He's interested in your relationships, your careers, you know, your passions, even your hobbies. It's like he wants you to succeed in, in everything because he loves the whole of you, not just a spiritual portion or a re religious part that you think is for God. God's like, no, I want everything to work for good. But here's a little thing that we sometimes can fall into, a little ditch. And I've, I hold my hand up if I've done this before. But we can think we're like VIPs. Like, you know, God's there to serve me. I've got that special thing around my neck that says I can go access all areas. I can do what I want. And everyone should just serve me because I've got the badge. And, and God's not there to just serve us. He loves us. But just like my sons, I don't want to just kind of like spoil them. I want to train them. I want to coach them. I want to see them grow up and be strong and become great human beings and be able to give out to others. And in the same way, God does that to us. Because when we start serving him, not just not thinking that God's there to serve our life and what our dreams and our wishes are, we actually start to find our security, our significance, and satisfaction in life. It's counterintuitive because most people right now, probably many of us in the room today, parts of me always still think, if I can just, I want something, therefore I'm going to pursue that. You know, I want a relationship. I want, I want some more money. I want this new piece of technology, whatever it is, I sometimes think, I just want to pursue that. I want, I want to get something for me. So when you then consider, actually, no, God says to like love your neighbor and give to others. It's better to give than it is to receive. I mean, I've always questioned that verse at Christmas, right? <laughs> but it is. When you start to realize, actually, we were program designed to give, not just to be on receive all the time. A child that is on receive is messed up. <laughs> Very soon you see the error of thinking like that's the way that we should try and do it. Actually, a child is also designed to give in, give in to the family, give to the, the needs of the household. It's amazing. You know, I love wrestling with my sons. Right now, that is probably my favorite pastime ever, okay? Because they're at that age where it's like, it's fight time. <laughs> you know, and they're like, they're ready. And they have this like rules and, and a storyline and everything. And they're like, daddy, you need to lie down here. And we're going to go away, we're going to come back, and you're going to try and get us. And if you get us, we're going to wrestle you, and we're going to try and eat you. It's, I mean, it's amazing, right? But fight time is the best. Like, I can't wait. Caleb has a little thing to try and, like, secretly hint that we're going to have fight time. He's like, honestly. But he, he, he's amazing. And I love it. I love those moments. And do you know why I love those moments so much? Because when I'm in that moment, when I'm there with them, fighting, wrestling, flying around and spinning them around my back, and it's like, way, it's because I know that they haven't got any fear, any worry, any anxiety. They haven't got their mind on anything else but on us. They're looking at me. I'm looking at them. We're focused on that relationship, and it's so powerful. You know, it's powerful. I've got to try and stop myself when the phone vibrates saying, get away, Satan. <laughs> But children, you know, that relationship is amazing. Yeah. But, you know, there's another side to it as well. In the mornings, for any parents out there, you have experienced this, I don't know how many million times, depending on the age of your children, but what time they get into your bedroom or they wake you up, however that's done. In our case, we have a special piece of technology, highly sophisticated, it's called a grow clock. And we leave it in Caleb's bedroom. We should probably get one for Micah now because he's definitely getting a bit more... Anyway, but this grow clock, let me explain it to you. It's very simple. It's a clock. It's blue at nighttime, i.e. to signify sleep. 
little moon there and little stars around the edge. That's beautiful, right? And then it goes orange at a predetermined time. That's to indicate you can now, maybe not get up, but leave the bedroom and wake up mommy and daddy, okay? Simple, really simple. And Caleb, he, you know, he's not the most intelligent, but he gets blue, in bed, orange, I can go. But even then, there are times in the morning where he rolls up. I'm like checking my phone. What is this time? Caleb, get back to bed. It's not gone orange. Oh, I'm just hungry. I just want to play. I just want... I'm like, Caleb, get back. Right in those moments, okay? Fight time is not on my mind. It's like, get back to your room. You've done wrong, <laughs> all right? One. Don't let me get to three. Two. I don't know why we count to three and not just two or something, but it's a, it's a, it's a norm of parenting, I guess. Um, that's for free tonight. But it's, but it's amazing that, you know, we have those moments where he does wrong, and you know what? I don't at that moment feel like I love him. He's just like, a, he's annoying. I'm like, get back to your bedroom. My sleep is way, way, way more important than this right now. Yet, maybe the day before, in the middle of the day, definitely the middle, not when I'm sleeping, we have fight time. It's amazing. And in the same way, you know, God, he looks at us. He's not as flipping like me, a reed who's like, gets tired and thinking, I want my sleep. He's not at all like that. But, you know, we can fall into the trap of sin. And, and, like, not the trap. We are sinful. We're sinners. We can't stop ourselves. We've got this disease on the inside. When we were born, we were not born innately good. We were born innately bad. I hate to break it to you. And because of that, we do things wrong. And when we do things wrong, it's like a wedge in that relationship. It distances us. And if we don't deal with the wedge and the things that we do, we don't always get to enjoy that relationship. And it's not God who's saying, oh, no, no, I'm not going to have fun with you today. It's us. Often we're the ones that say, I'm not worthy. You know, the bread and wine. I love what Dave said. No, we are. <laughs> if you've done wrong, you need it. <laughs> Start taking another one. No, don't. <laughs> Sin doesn't build a relationship. It hurts it. You know, when we miss the mark, it hurts us. It's a sin against God, but it hurts and damages us. Yet the world is so lost to this idea, thinking like when we do the thing, when we follow what we want, it's almost like if it feels good to us, it must be right. Such a wrong philosophical thought right there. It's, it's ridiculous. No, we do the right thing, God's word, God's way. And you know what? Then we get to experience a relationship that is powerful. And of course, we don't get it always right. But we know we can keep coming back to our dad because he loves us. He is so for us. You know, God looks over the whole world. And I'm, I, you can't imagine the pain of like seeing so many people who don't get to experience the true Father in heaven. They don't get to experience that time of fight time in an adult context. But you know what? You will have fight time with God where you're wrestling, you're thinking, what is going on? The ups and downs of life. But the fact that you've got a constant, a Father who's with you no matter what is unbelievable. You know, God wants us to be focused on him, looking into his eyes. Just in those moments that we have on earth, it's like, because it's not because he needs the attention, like he's got an ego that needs filling up every now and then. It's because he knows this is what's best for his children. I know when I'm having that time with my sons, it's like, well, it's not really training them on their ABCs, one, two, threes. It's not, you know, giving them, you know, the, the, the knowledge or encyclopedia that probably the school wants to put down. But, you know, in those moments, it's building trust, security, healthy soul, knowing that they're loved. Like, that's priceless, right? And you don't have to adopt all these thoughts, but honestly, like, IQ has got nothing compared to the love of a father or a mother to, the ch to their children. 
You know, so this kind of loosely leads me to religion, right? So God didn't want to impact the world with a religion. He didn't, Jesus didn't come to set up Christianity, right? That wasn't the mission. <laughs> the mission of Jesus was to reconcile us back to the Father. It's all about relationship. It's not about following a set of rules or, or laws or regulations. You see, man has made religion. Man has formed this thing called religion, yet God sent his son. Jesus is the cure. Religion is the infection. So many people in society right now, they'll tell me, you know, oh, Andy, I'm not religious, therefore, you know, global's not for me, church isn't for me. I'm like, I'm not religious. I freaking hate religion. So we're in the same boat. You need to come because I'm into life, and, and the God that I know is into your life, not some sort of religious life or stained glass window. Don't worry about them. They were really hip in the day. You know, religion says we ought, we should, we must. But Jesus came to abolish religion. He came to fulfill the law, but abolish religion. He didn't want these structures that were just there to serve themselves. The religious people of that day, they didn't, they, it wasn't the love of God that they were trying to get people to align with. It was, no, you need to measure up. You need to stack up. And even right now, Today, in global, in church, modern day church, we will still have religion, religious structures that we're not always aware of. It might, not be, it might not be as obvious as what it was back then or in different churches, but there'll still be things in your heart that you're driven not by a love to, but a have to, an or, a should, a must that's causing you to go forward rather than a relationship that says, I want to, I want to engage with Jesus. I want to read my word. I want to worship. Religious Religion is man searching for God. Jesus is God searching for man. You know, religion doesn't practice what it preaches. That's why we are wound up with hypocrisy and religion, because we hear one thing and we see another. That's what the world is missing so much, is for people to walk with integrity, not duplicitous lives and say one thing, and then it's like, it's, it's nuts. It's not about following the rules. It's the emphasis that God wants each and every one of you. He's not looking to grade our lives. He's saying, no, I want you in all your mess right now. Because with Jesus, that mess turns into an amazing message. Don't despise what's happened in your life. Go to God. Go to Jesus with it. Cast your burdens. Cast your cares onto him. Here's it. Relationship with Jesus is about freedom. Freedom. Freedom! I'm Scottish a little bit. My dad's Scottish, you know, Braveheart. You know, I love that scene, best scene in the film, maybe in history of films. But Jesus came to set us free. Jesus died to set us free. So many people are not free. They might be confident, but they're not free. They might be extroverted, but they're not necessarily free. They're still bound up. There's parts of their life that are like, I don't know what to do. You know, Jesus is the real deal. He was Mr. Real. He was completely real. You know, when we look at religion, that tries and forces us to try and perform. So it's like we see the religion, we think, oh, I need to do this to kind of fit in and to squeeze in. Like when you come to global, it's like you might think that there's certain rules that you might have got to, you know, adapt to it or kind of mold yourself into. But performance, when we can't reach it, leads to pretense. And then so many people in society are trying to pretend trying to pretend that life's together, like, hey, look at my Instagram, look at what's going on, amazing day, look at the, 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 the mocha, the latte, the flat white. It's like, wow. Honestly, but religion doesn't lead to where God's wanting to take us. 
Jesus is real. You know, society longs for the authentic. We're searching for the real thing. Even if most of us have no clue what the real thing is, we're so used to wearing a mask, encountering facades on other people. We're sick and tired of the superficial and are tired of hiding. There is a longing to come out of the closet, so to speak, and let the real me stand up. Take it or leave it. This is who I am. This is what I'm dealing with. These are my hopes, my dreams, my fears, but also my scars, my hang-ups. You know, Jesus was so real. He wasn't just real. He was relational. In the Bible, I'm amazed because when you read through the Gospels and they recount Jesus and his time on earth, he could be relational with anyone. From religious leaders who he could go around to dinner and converse with, all the way across to drunkards, to prostitutes, tax collectors, even the demonized. Jesus was relational with. He was real with. The woman at the well, you know, he asks her, oh, you know, where's your husband? And she says, well, actually, um, you know, I'm not married. Oh, you're right there, Jesus says, because you've been married three times, and the man you're with now isn't yet your husband. Whoa! Talk about a boulder just crashing into your life. Jesus bringing truth. But she didn't kind of go affronted and offended. She was like, wow. She felt the love and the grace that Jesus was passing on. Jesus is bringing truth, but he brings love, grace. We don't deserve it. It's unmerited. It's favor on our life. And that's the Jesus that I follow. Someone that can come alongside anyone, anyone in society, and they don't feel condemned. They don't feel like they're not good enough. Perfection. And yet people could stand alongside him, and they wanted to be with him. They wanted to be around him. The crowds followed him just to hear what he said, to see him, to be near him. He confused people, yet people still wanted to be around that. <laughs> if we confuse people today, we kind of get forgotten about. But Jesus was different. You know, when, when I think of relationships, if I don't have a relationship with you, I'm going to come and I'll, I'll bring my social CV. I'll get it out the bag, not literally, but I'll talk about the things that I've done this week or maybe my accomplishments or, accomplishments or what I've done or achieved. But, you know, the better the relationship, the more likely I'm going to start sharing, you know, ah, oh, the disappointments, what's happened, the failures, where I've messed up, the kind of frustrations. And that's the beauty of relationships. In Global, we talk about being relational. We talk about being real, relational, relevant, and robust. But that relational piece is so powerful because in society, it's like we've got more Facebook friends than we've got real friends. What do I mean by that? We might give someone online a little... Thumbs up, hey, real close, really close. I mean, I, I know nowadays you can give like a, a laughing emoji or a big heart or something like that, but that's the extent of our friendship. It's like click a button, beep, done, job done. That'll keep him going for a few months now. It's mad. You know, even like with that, the, the, the mobile phone and social media, we're gonna get into a lift, we'll stand in a queue at the supermarket. Probably won't go to the supermarket, we'll do an online shop, won't we? All right, maybe not if you've not got kids. But you'll be standing in line, and you'll just think, oh, I'll just get my phone out, see what's going on. Oh, wow, no way. There's people around you all the time. Even at work, you might get bored. You might feel awkward. What do we do? Get the phone out. Oh, wow, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we're not even engaging relationally like we used to. We don't know the neighbors on our street. And I know you might think, well, I've got friends around the world. But you don't know them. Relational isn't just being pally-pally. Relational is having a depth of relationship where you say, how are you doing? Come on. Let, let's talk. You know, Dave and, and Globe, we have this little phrase, you know, if it's odd, we call it odd. I mean, I know that's not politically correct, but we do, because that's like normal relational behavior. 
you know, if you thought I was doing something really odd or winding you up, that's usually how it goes, it'd be helpful if you told me I was winding you up so that I could maybe change. That would be a good friend. Rather than just thinking, you know what, I can't say it because I might offend them. But guess what? I'm like a walking wind-up merchant offending everyone else. And we're all pretending like there's nothing wrong. But there is. And that's what relationships are about in church. You're in a safe place because we want to build great relationships where we're for you, not against you. We don't just want to crush you or hurt you or damage you. Quite the opposite. Just like Jesus, we want to give you truth. And we want to give you grace and love beside it. Saying, you, we, we can work through this. You've got the power to change. You've got the Holy Spirit living inside of you. It's amazing. John 13, verses 34 to 35 says, A new command I give you, this is Jesus talking, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I mean, it's so straightforward, that really, love one another. And yet so often I think the PR that the church has been known for is possibly the opposite. You know, when you hear the kind of the picketing campaigns in America of like, kill the faggots or whatever, from the church, by the way. It's nuts. You think, did you read your Bible? Like, did you read just that one scripture from the lips of Jesus? Love one another. That's how people will know that there's something different about you. That your natural reaction isn't hate or kind of thinking you're different, so that's odd or weird. It's like, no, it's going to be a love. It's a powerful thing. Let me ask this question to you at this point. How healthy is your relationship with Jesus? How healthy is your relationship with Jesus? Or another way of putting it, how living or active or dynamic is your relationship with Jesus? Because healthy relationships, and especially your relationship with Jesus, is what's going to give you the freedom in your life. It's going to cause the transformation. It's not going to be following the list of rules and regulations that you find in a book, but it's that relationship with Jesus where you know that I'm loved by someone from the bottom of their heart. There's nothing. There's no hidden agenda. There's no other thing going on. He's totally for us. But while I'm saying that, don't look to the person on your left or your right and what you think is like a good relationship with Jesus, like as if flip me, like that's amazing. You know, I think in like marriage terms, right? You know, if, if you've been dating someone for a couple of weeks, it'd be silly to compare the intimacy you have with a girlfriend, boyfriend of two weeks versus a marriage of 10 years, right? And, and you know, a good marriage of 10 years because there's been a period, there's been difference. I was saying to the church this morning, I don't know if this quite landed, but you know, when I got married, I wasn't thinking, oh, Anna, I can't wait till we're like 10 years married because then it's going to be awesome, right? I wasn't thinking that. I was just thinking it's awesome, <laughs> you know, getting married. You know, you can join the dots how you like, but <laughs> not the wedding day. <laughs> anyway, I mean, it's a great day. Not to pull it down. Girls, you'll love it. Just anyway. But marriage, a relationship. You don't look and think, oh, I can't wait till it's that point. Like, you just enjoy the relationship. Like your best friend, you don't think, oh, I can't wait till we've been best friends for five years. Oh, that, that, that'll be a level. That'll be great. Like, no, you just enjoy friendship. You enjoy hanging out. You enjoy playing whatever sport or doing what you do as best friends. You just enjoy the relationship. And in the same way, that's what God's looking for each and every one of his children. Just enjoy me. Don't look to the left or the right and what their relationship's like. They might have been, yeah, married for 10 years. But it might be a year that's just been going on repeat as well. Don't start getting taken off course by comparisonitis. Look to Jesus. Look to that relationship where you're at 
and enjoy it from where you're at. Because when you enjoy it from where you're at, that's real. If you're trying to like pretend and like listen to the prayers that someone else said beside you and think, ooh, you know, I'm, I'm going to sound like that, you know, like Andy. Don't. You're not me. You don't have the relationship, like my relationship with Jesus, but you have your own. And that's what you want to be invested in. Not looking at everyone else's and comparing. The more you put in, the more you'll get out. It's so true in life. The more you put in, the more you'll get out. And yet we get lazy. I don't know what it's, you know, you'll be familiar with this. You know, relationships, sticking on that. Not just the one with Jesus, but when we first find the person of our dreams, it's amazing. It's like, wow, can't stop thinking about them. You're infatuated, probably intoxicated with them. <laughs> it's unbelievable. You, you know, you're obsessive about it to that extent. And then over time, if you stick with it and, you know, maybe get married, put the ring on the finger, you know, a few kids down the line. doesn't even take kids, okay? But soon, that relationship, it doesn't have that same kind of, wow. <laughs> it's just like, wow. <laughs> wow. Or maybe it's just like, yeah, come on now. <laughs> get out the door. Stop messing about. You know what you found really cute and attractive at one point just winds you up. <laughs> Oh, I hope it's not just my marriage. <laughs> She's not here tonight. It's all right. <laughs> but it's the same with Jesus. We come into that relationship with Jesus, and it's like, oh, my goodness. I, you mean I can be forgiven? My shame, my guilt can just be wiped away. Hold on. I, I've got God Almighty living within me. Like, it's not just down to me now to, to make it through life, but I've actually got him helping me succeed in everything. Wow, wow, Jesus, you, you know, you are Jesus, I can't sing, uh, you know, I'm singing out the loudest, putting your both hands up, because it's like, it's awesome, because you've experienced something new, and it is so powerful, it's impactful, but the thing is, familiarity breeds contempt, and as we come to church again and again and again, and we hear the great message, we hear great worship, we hear great lead-throughs, we hear the offering talk again and again, especially that, you know, it gets stuck in our mind, and yet some of that wonder starts to disappear. And then we find ourselves, and I want to finish on this, that we find ourselves becoming more like a rock than a sponge. You know, we have this risk that all our relationships can, or not just our relationships, that we ourselves can become more like rocks than a sponge. If you can picture a rock, if I was prepared like Sam would have been, I would have had a rock and a bucket of water and a sponge, and I probably would have poured champagne or Prosecco. <laughs> just to try and steal the class that Sam brings. But it's, it's you know, when you look at that rock, it, nothing can really get inside it. Is it not porous? Is that right? I don't know what the yeah, technical, I'm looking to the builder over here. You know, it, not, nothing can get in it. And our hearts and our lives can become rock-like. We drift to becoming more like rocks than staying like a sponge. It takes a deliberate effort to stay like a sponge. It's a bit like staying young, staying young. It's not an age thing. Hopefully you know that. It's, it's really a condition of the heart. That's why Dave is the youngest here in this room. But, but we're, if we're not careful, we start to just solidify. Because we've heard it again. It's like, yeah, 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 yeah. I've been here, I've done that. Oh, we've taken communion. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's almost like, yeah, hey, guys, we're going through the motions. You know, people, well, I, can't, I just know them. Like, I've seen them around, like... Yeah, that's just how they are. Like, you know, we get on well, but we're not that well. And like in my dinner pie, yeah, we get on all right. But like, and it's like the wonder of people and the wonder of Jesus and the wonder of what God's doing in other people's lives and even what God is maybe going to do in your life just starts to shrink and wane. And, and 
we kind of just going through the motions, the rhythm of life. And before you know it, we're more like a rock than a sponge. You know, when I look at Easter, I think about clearly Jesus, but what he went through as he was going to that cross. The Bible talks about how Jesus grew in stature with God and with man, with people. He grew in stature. You know, he, wasn't, he was born perfect, but he wasn't born ready to go to the cross, if that makes sense. You know, we couldn't just bypass it and think, you know, let's get it out of the way, get him at a young age. Like, no, he had, there, was, there was a process, there was a journey, there was a, a kind of a development that had to go through. And in that time, you know, Jesus' love for humanity probably matured and grew. And he thought, you know, it's a, this is amazing scripture in the Bible that says, for the joy set before him, Jesus went to the cross. You've got to think the cross was one of the most painful, excruciating experiences, torture mechanisms that man had created at that point in time. And yet the Bible records that for the joy set before him, he went to the cross. I ask myself, why? Why, why would he have joy? Why would he go? Why would he go freely? He was, he was God Almighty. He could have called down angels to get him off the cross, annihilate the opposition, set up his kingdom right there and then, but he didn't. He restrained his power because actually his, his mission wasn't about himself and securing his place in the world. His mission was to defeat death. His mission was to conquer sin. His mission was to reconcile us back to the Father. He was thinking about each and every person, every man, woman, and child who has lived, is going to live. And he's thinking, I want them to know my Father. I want them to have a relationship with my Father. I want them to be able to experience fight time. <laughs> I want them to be able to know how for my Father is for each and every one of them, the plans that he's got for them. Because if he hadn't gone to the cross, if he hadn't defeated sin and death, we'd still be in darkness. And instead, he brought light into our lives. It's amazing. The most life-giving moment in history has also become the most misunderstood religious symbol. Jesus died for you and me. He died because God so loved the world. He himself had a love for each and every one of us. And the more we can focus our eyes, focus our attention on him, on that relationship, we'll find our security, we'll find our significance, we'll find our satisfaction. It doesn't always make sense. You kind of think, well, that relationship, is it really going to lead to the promotion that I want? Is it really going to lead to the right person or partner for life? Is it really going to lead to like mental healing of, you know, things that are going on in my mind? I'm like, yes, yes, yes. It doesn't always make sense. When I'm playing with my kids, it doesn't always make sense like on paper. You know, I, don't read, I didn't read a parenting book that says, have fight time. <laughs> I just love them. And I know that love will count a lot more than a lot of other things that the world's trying to offer out. And we've got to be careful about the lies that we hold on to that replace God's love. The lies that you believe, truth, that is, that's not truth. Maybe at one moment in time you thought it was truth, but right now... It needs to be removed from your life because God's saying, that's not what I say about you. That's not what I believe about you. That's not what my word says. And we have to replace those things. Let me just read one last scripture and then I'll wrap it up. Revelation 2 verses 4 to 5. I have this against you. 
You've abandoned the passionate love you had for me at the beginning. Think about how far you've fallen. Repent and do the works of love you did at first. You know, you've forgotten. You've abandoned the passionate love you had for me at the beginning. Excuse me. It's not easy to, to keep that passion going. Keep that fire going. I love one of Shelley's lines, you know. You know, it's easy to make love to a new person every night compared to keeping the passion burning with someone for 30, 40 years, one person, the same person. That is awesome. So it's not an easy task, but it's so rewarding. When we keep that passion alive, when we keep that passion with Jesus, but also with other people around us, we don't let things creep in, our hearts get hardened. We hold on to that wonder. We remind ourselves saying, this is awesome. This is wow. From the team here at Global Church, thank you for listening to this podcast. Please check out our other messages available on the website.